Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Have you ever heard of the 39 Steps? No, what's that, a pub? Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. These guns are 11. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. This is Simon Rose. You join us for the Business of Film, where I am in conversation as ever with James Cameron Wilson as we examine what's been happening at the UK box office and review a few films along the way. So, James, where are we with the box office? Well, I've been spreading nothing but gloom over the last few weeks, so I'm glad to say that last weekend's box office had improved by the previous weekend by 55.1%, largely due to one incredibly successful film called Sing 2, which over the weekend made almost 7 million quid. It's the third biggest opening since the pandemic began, and even bigger than the original gross of Sing, which made £6.25 million uh, prior to the pandemic. So how much it makes? Seven? 6.9 million. 6.97, effectively. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, 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 indeed. And luckily enough, I have seen it, so I can talk about it. You may not... You, I remember I you, you liked the original, didn't you? I'm seeing okay, to yeah, quite did, a while I ago. Did. Well, yes, well done. In fact, I, I thought it was the only worthwhile cartoon to come out of the animation studio Illumination, the company that brought us... Despicable Me, The Lorax, Despicable Me 2, Minions, The Secret Life of Pets, Despicable Me, me 3, <laughs> and if possible, the worst of the whole lot, The Grinch. And haven't they done well for themselves? Sing alone grossed over $634 million worldwide, and Illumination being Illumination, a sequel was a foregone conclusion. But the good news is that the writer and director of the first film was persuaded to return. Since his debut 17 years ago, he's only directed four features, but they are a distinctive quartet. Sing, Sing 2, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and in 2008, Son of Rambo. And I stress that his is the only name, that is Garth Jennings, on the screenwriter credit of both Sing and Sing 2. So he should get most of the credit. The sequel may not be as fresh and surprising as the first film. It is, after all, a sequel. But it has lost none of its energy, wit or visual ingenuity. And it's a great format. A soundtrack chock full of well-known pop songs, a raft of insecure but identifiable characters and a, a strong storyline stressing the importance of going for broke in order to achieve one's dreams. To recap, 
In order to keep his struggling theatre alive, a koala called Buster Moon, voiced by Matthew McConaughey, decides to mount a talent contest. However, there is a typo on the advertising flyer with the prize money augmented by an extra two zeros. Much pandemonium ensues. But it was the film's recipe that was so appealing, a string of hit songs performed by a colourful variety of animals, each and every one apparently trying to overcome some kind of personal crisis, throw in buckets of wit and an endless supply of sight gags, backed up by state-of-the-art animation. And you had a crowd-pleasing, uplifting entertainment that will guarantee you will leave the cinema with a smile on your face and your feet tapping. However, Sing 2 starts with a cliche. The camera, for want of a better word, pans through thick undergrowth, one of just three opening cliches in the cinema, mm. the other two being a pan across water, water. Yeah, yeah. and the interior of a car. But this being the brainchild of Garth Jennings, he turns it on its head by turning the undergrowth into stage scenery and an elephant with an exquisite singing voice playing the title role in a musical version of Alice in Wonderland. Buster Moon has landed on his feet and has cast his loyal troupe of singers, including a pig voiced by Reese Witherspoon, a porcupine courtesy of Scarlett Johansson, and a gorilla voiced by Taron Edgerton, first-rate warblers all, in a production that is playing to packed-out houses. The next step, obviously, is to head out of the provinces and to Redshaw City, the entertainment capital of the world. But what works in Caledonia ain't necessarily going to succeed in the cutthroat arena of international show business. In the words of one dog, a talent scout called Suki, trust me, you're never going to make it in the big league. Be that as it may, the critters make their way to Redshaw City, and due to a combination of chutzpah and luck, they do get to audition for the talent mogul Jimmy Crystal, who is literally a wolf. But just as he is about to dismiss them, Gunter the Pig reveals that they have a sci-fi musical up their sleeve which Jimmy Crystal thinks is a jolly good idea. However, judging by this this and the recent Jonathan Larson musical Tick, Tick, Boom, sci-fi musicals have proved problematic. And so it goes in Sing 2. If you want to know how it all pans out, you can watch the trailer online, which details the very impressive finale, which is wonderful. Right. Okay. At least one of the trailers do, the one that I watched. I was just absolutely horrified. Because that's what we're all waiting for. Uh, I just don't want to tell you any more. But I just, it's not as great as Sing, but I loved it. Oh, well, I was going to ask, and I didn't really enjoy Sing as much as you. So, I, yeah, I just have to maybe wait till it comes on to streaming service. But impressed that it is doing so well at the, the box office. Incredibly um, so. So has it pushed Spider-Man into second place or has Spider-Man gone even lower? Well, as you know, uh, Belfast just came in out of nowhere and got mm. to number two last week. Mm. And it's still at number two. It's oh. only gone down a 19%. Uh, it made 1.9 million pounds with a total of 6 million, which has pushed Spider-Man No Way Home into third place with 1.8 million quid, down 24%, with now a total of 
90 million pounds sterling, eclipsing the total made by Avengers Endgame in this country. And it is now the sixth highest grossing film of all time in the UK. Mm. And it's now got James Cameron's avatar in its sights. I never saw this coming. Spider-Man No Way Home. But it's really obviously raised the the value of young Tom Holland, who I see in his next film. He's top billing Mark Wahlberg. He's now one of the biggest stars in the world. Mm. A long way from Billy Elliot on stage. Anyway, back to the chart at number four, we've got Scream, which was at number three, down 37% with a total of 6.15 million. Five, Nightmare Alley, which has slipped one point from number four, down 40% with a total of 1.2 million. At six, we have a new film called Parallel Mothers, which made £302,000. I'm hoping I might get to see that this weekend. That's the new Almodovar. It, It is, with Penelope Cruz getting a lot of Oscar buzz. Oh, I, I'd be really interested to know what you think of it. Well, um, if we if we get there, and plans sometimes go wrong, but that's certainly the film that we we opted to see if we get there. If we can are get you in. a fan of Almodovar? By and large, I am. Yes, but he's variable, but he, he uh, rarely dull. That's true. I feel yeah, rarely okay. dull. And some of those, some of the, some of his films, I think, are absolutely. Um, fantastic. Fewer, perhaps, than in the early days when he was shocking. Because the trouble is, each Al- Almodovar film, you've got to compare with all the other ones. And it's quite hard for him to out Almodovar Almodovar, if you see what I mean. Rather like Ken Russell in his heyday. Yes, yes. I think that's probably uh, a very, very good um, comparison. I'm trying to think of the last one I saw that was very, that was very good. Oh, The Skin I Live In, I thought was absolutely fantastic. Very creepy. Well, you enjoyable. must let me know if, if you get there. Um, I will. Anyway, we've got four more films in the top. Okay. And we've got at number seven, The King's Man, down 27%. Yeah. Clifford the Big Red Dog is the, I suppose, the greatest. Um, um, I can't think of the word now. But... Well, you say it's the greatest film about a big red dog that there ever has been. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's down 56% with a total of 8.7 million. Right. West Side Story has dropped 40%. And Encanto, Disney's 60th animated cartoon, is down 56%. So after the break, if I could, I'd like to talk about two films that I have seen on screen. Yes, of course. Just before we go then, West Side Story then considered something of a failure in box office terms? Uh, I think so. Oh, gosh, Mm. yes, very Mm. much so, I'm afraid. And I know you didn't love it as much as many people have, but it's made... Seven million three hundred and forty-one thousand two hundred and thirteen pounds, which is well. Who knows? Maybe it will have an online life. Who who knows? We have to think back and remember the Shawshank Redemption was seen by almost nobody in the cinema except us, James. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's just take that break and then we'll we'll look at another uh, couple of films. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film, and I'm listening to James Cameron Wilson, who's explaining what's been happening in the box office. But we're going to look at another couple of films that James has, James has seen uh, that he's going to review for us. Yeah, I would like to mention a film that is gaining considerable awards heat, which I have been aware of, but have somehow missed out until now. And I am praying that on February the 8th, next week, that it gets the Oscar nominations it deserves. In a freak accident of personal movie programming, my weekly film night saw me showing what we did on our holiday to a father and his 12-year-old daughter in my immediate bubble, who had just returned from a family holiday in Scotland. As what we did on our holiday is about a family who drive to Scotland for a family holiday, it seemed an appropriate choice. What I found the film just as funny on a second viewing, if not more so, it struck me as a better one than I even remembered and more profound. It's a family comedy with lashings of well-calibrated slapstick, which is always difficult to pull off and actually quite scatological. But it also addresses issues such as di- divorce and death with a nimble hand. Oh, so this is a while ago. This is the Andy Hamilton Guy Jenkin um, it is movie indeed. The, who wrote the Drop the Dead Donkey and various it, other indeed. things. Yeah, 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 it stars yeah. Rosamund Pike, David Tennant and Billy Connolly, all of whom are terrific. And as you say, it's directed by Andy Hamilton and Guy Jenkins, who it, it was terrific to actually meet these guys because there's, a, I think, Andy Hamilton's not very tall, and Guy Jenkins is yes. very tall. Yes. And I found I got a yes. crick in the neck going from one <laughs> yes. to the other. But yeah. it was the couple's sensible, bespectacled 10-year-old daughter, Lottie, played by Amelia Jones in the film, who particularly struck me as exceptional. And a day later, I watched Amelia Jones in Coda, playing the American teenage daughter of Death parents for which she has won the breakthrough performer prize at the gotham awards while the film itself was voted one of the best of 2021 by the american film institute and deservedly so in the nick of time i voted for amelia jones in the london film critic circle awards whose winners will be announced this weekend on february the 6th mm. the title coda stands for child of deaf Adults, and it is a remake of a French film, La Famille Bellier, which was released in 2014 and caused a furor in the deaf community for casting two well-known hearing actors in the lead roles. This American version has cast real deaf actors in the main roles, with Amelia Jones as Ruby Rossi, the 17-year-old among them, who acts as their translator in the world of the hearing. The film is set in the fishing community of Gloucester, Massachusetts, where Ruby's father and older brother make their living. They could not survive without her. Then, as new regulations are brought in that will cost her family dear, Ruby is exploring her own dreams as a hearing teenager. Her goal is to sing and to enroll at the Berklee College of Music in Boston but obviously at a terrible cost to her family. And how can she explain to her deaf parents the validity of her goal when they cannot even understand the power of song? It's an emotive premise, and Sean 
Hida's film mined it with enormous power and sensitivity and reality. Her film is not only, only terribly moving, but also very funny, but never at the cost of the deaf characters, while shining a new light on what it must be like to be part of the deaf community. Amelia Jones reminded me of Riz Ahmed, who for his role as the drummer in Sound of Metal, had to learn sign language to play the drums and master an American accent. Here, Amelia Jones had the same set of objectives to learn to sign, acquire a convincing American accent, and in this instance, to sing like an angel. Mm. But then she is the daughter of Alid Jones, the Welsh teenager. Oh, oh yes, yes. Okay. Who had a top ten snowman? With a, yes, with a with the song "Walking in the Air" yes, yes, yes. from, as you say, the animated film "The Snowman." She is terrific, and she's obviously versatile. Versatile. She can sing amazingly well. I, I don't. I think within the last twelve months, I've seen two films that have kept me choked up on so many different occasions. Mm. This being one of them, the other being King Richard. So mm. see if, if what's what's uh, well, what service is it on? Uh, it is on. That's a very Apple TV Plus. Oh, I don't have that. Okay, I am so sorry to say. Okay. Um, but I, I did see one other. Now, did you know that according to Wikipedia, there have been thirty-one works relating to the life of Anne Frank, the Dutch schoolgirl <laughs> who died at that. the age of fifteen? No, I didn't know that. This uh, includes three animated films, innumerable documentaries, and an indie psychedelic folk album by the band Neutral Milk Hotel, which used Anne Frank for its inspiration. Mm. What there hasn't been is a big screen dramatization of Anne Frank produced in her own country, the Netherlands, until now. Although you will probably only be able, able to see it on Netflix over here. It's called... My Best Friend Anne Frank, which saw, sounds to me more like a Mills and Boone novel, or at least a Hollywood rom-com, than a searing Holocaust drama. The clever thing about the film, though, directed by Ben Sombogard, is that it's divided into two chapters. One part of the film set in 1942, and the other in 45, in the Bergen-Belsen Nazi concentration camp. For the former segments, the film is drenched in oversaturated colours in order to capture a period of charmed childhood, as if the occupation of Amsterdam is some kind of magical game. In the death camps, the colours are bleached out and the full horror of what has come to pass hits one between the eyes like a jackhammer. The trouble is that it all feels terribly contrived. The film is it, it's well made, beautifully scored by... Merlin Snitka and well acted, but I didn't believe a word of it. The Dutch actress Aiko Beemsterboer really does look like Anne Frank, while her childhood confidant Hannah Gosler is played by the extraordinarily pretty Josephine Adamson, whose last film, incidentally, was My Extraordinary Summer with Tess, which sounds like a, a prequel to My Best Friend Anne Frank. Mm -hmm. As far as I can tell, most of what happens in the film genuinely did actually happen, except for one sequence near the end, which really does stretch plausibility. It's hard to knock a film that deals with such a serious subject matter, but I kept on thinking it was a missed opportunity. While the 15 certificate is definitely deserved, the film could never be accused 
um, of being gratuitous. And the director, Ben Sombogart, pulls back from showing anything truly gratuitous or traumatic. Although what we see is, I think, more than enough. For me, being told that Jewish people were not allowed to go to the cinema or even to use the telephone in wartime Amsterdam was enough to make the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end. No doubt there is an audience for this type of history lesson, but I would be hard pushed to actually recommend it to anybody I know. And there are so many films, as I say, about Anne Frank hmm. that are better than this. You said that's on Netflix, that one? Uh, that is on Netflix, yes. Right. Um, uh, of course, I mean, given that you know, we're talking about that subject, perhaps now's a good moment to mention that people should look out for getting away with murders, uh, oh, which indeed. is a documentary uh about well essentially i suppose about getting away with murder the, the the those who were um uh responsible for many of the crimes who after the war were not pursued once they'd got the big wigs they didn't seem to care about the rest but i mean a hard a hard watch but very 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 good heart-hitting documentary it is i do recommend it highly uh, very quickly if we've got a minute can we talk about the um, bafta nominations uh yes let's do that okay well <laughs> Uh, it's such a strong year for actresses, and I really didn't know how they could choose between Jessica Chastain, Olivia Colman, Penelope Cruz, Jennifer Hudson as Aretha Franklin, Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball, Fran Frances McDormand as Lady Macbeth, Kristen Stewart as Lady Di, and Rachel Zegler as Maria and West Side Story all of whom have received enormous numbers of awards in America. Mm. How, which three do you knock out to get it down to five? I haven't even realised the nominations have been announced, James, since they I resigned from BAFTA. They announced yeah. uh, this afternoon. Oh, right, right. And how ba BAFTA got round it was not to nominate any of them. What? <laughs> I could not believe it. Uh, but... I know they've got this new diversification um, thing that they've got to recommend, but I was thrilled that Amelia Jones from CODA mm. was nominated, who I was praying was going to get nominated because I did for the London Film Critics Circle Awards this weekend. Well, they had to make room for Lady Gaga. Well, yeah, yeah, Lady Gaga's there. But so many snubs. Um, including Denzel Washington and Andrew Garfield, who were both, I thought, shoe-ins. But we've still got, as I say, we've got the Oscars next week. But I was really surprised by their choices. But then it's wonderful to see the sort of people who have been nominated. Incidentally, two actors were nominated last year with roles in, involving sign language. This year, we have two more. We have Troy Kotzer from CODA and Amelia Jones of the former Troy actually being a genuine deaf actor, mm. whereas last year, Riz Ahmed and Paul Racy were doing sign language, but they weren't actually really deaf. This year, they, Troy Kotzer is really a deaf actor. And I was thrilled to see that Mahershala Ali actually got nominated for Swan Song, which you may remember was a film I really liked, which again, I'm afraid, was on Apple Plus TV. Well, well BAFTA's often criticised for being... Uh too much like the Oscars, and maybe they're diversifying away from that completely, which could Well, be last year they shook, up, they shook up the entire system by coming up with a whole lot of people that nobody had heard of and still hadn't heard of, which mm. is rather sad. But, yeah, Lady <laughs> Gaga, I'm, I'm quite happy.
happy about Alana Heim for Licorice Pizza, uh, Joanna Scanlon for After Love, and Tessa Thompson for Passing. A deal actor, probably, I wasn't even aware of a film called Ali and Arva. Uh, he was nominated. Leonardo DiCaprio was nominated for Don't Look Up. Stephen Graham for Boiling Point. And the actor who is going to win the Oscar, who's never received a BAFTA mm. before, Will Smith for King Richard. Well, it may have a lot to do... Well, I was going to say, it may have a lot to do with not actually receiving screeners, but having to look at things online, except... I mean, looking at the list very, very quickly, it looks as though those few screeners that did arrive, which are mostly Netflix ones, don't seem to have benefited massively at all. King Richard did. Hmm. Um, West Side Story got... Oh, no, we didn't get a screen of West Side Story. No, you're right. But anyway, James... The Power James, of the Dog did well. Yep. James, that is it. Thank you very much indeed to James Cameron Wilson. We'll be back with more business of film at the same time next week. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley.